All right, open your Bible. Matthew chapter 1. All right, hold your spot there. We'll get there in a few minutes. Matthew chapter 1. Folks, if you, you, it's hard to believe, but this, this is the first Sunday of December. Like, what? What in the world happened to 2018? You realize there's only three more Sundays or three more weeks, really, before Christmas. And so, because there's only three weeks to go, we're starting a brand new series today that will take us all the way through uh, the last Sunday before Christmas called Christmas in the Real World. Christmas in the Real World. Now, Christmas, I, I don't know about your house, I, I would imagine is, you know, it's probably a little bit uh, like ours. I'm, I'm married to somebody who has a Christmas problem. Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you walk, it's, if you had kids and you ever avoided Chuck E. Cheese when you had kids, it's like that with, with certain people around Christmas stores. You know, you try to like, oh, well, this, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. No, we'll just keep right on moving. Uh, you know, I, I, I have books because I'm in ministry and, and so I have books. Well, yeah, and see, that's it. See, I hear this all the time. You got a problem, but don't you bring another book in this house. We don't have a room for it. Well, the last time that we moved in Peoria, uh, we were moving a bunch of stuff, and, and I had all these totes uh, that Leslie said, we'll take that one downstairs and take that one. Now, I'm trying to organize. I'm like, okay, well, what's that one? Well, that's Christmas stuff. And then I pick up another, what's that one? Christmas stuff. And then another, well, what's that Christmas stuff? And by the time we were done, there was so much Christmas stuff, I said, babe, I don't want to hear another word about my books. Amen? It's like, if you keep getting Christmas stuff, I'm going to keep getting books. Now, now here's the thing. It is kind of fun to have all those Christmas things, but you may have noticed that in just having them doesn't really do anything. You've, you've got to get them out, and you've got to put them, and you've got to position them just ever so rightly and appropriately around your house. Because if you don't, you've missed the whole purpose. And, and so getting them out, having them is one thing, but getting them out and putting them where you want them is something entirely different. Now, I have discovered over the course of time that there's really sort of uh, uh, two approaches and two results uh, to how you go about positioning and, and distributing uh, your Christmas things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate this through a couple of different uh, movie clips. So watch this one. This is one, this is one method and, and uh, kind of one result. No lights on in the house. Your mom must be shopping. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're home. Oh, I can feel it, Lou. This is the year when everybody asks who has the most spectacular lights in all of greater Whoville. They're going to cry out, Mrs. Betty Lou Who. Isn't this the chandelier from the dining room? It's all for the cause, dear. Oh, and Cindy, could you be Mommy's little helper and unscrew the bulb there from the refrigerator? Because somehow I missed that one. <laughs> Every year, Martha May Cuvier has the best lights. Well, not this year. This year, I'm going to beat that Prim, perfect little prissy daddy. Hi, Martha. 
I've never seen so many beautiful Christmas lights, Betty Lou. Well, I'd blow every fuse if I tried to keep up with you, Martha May. Isn't this antique darling? It's handcrafted and almost a hundred years old. I really fast. This, however, is new. Alright, I'll be honest. How many of you would love to have one of those? <laughs> like a 50 cal light I might actually get in the mood to hang Christmas lights. That would be so cool. Alright, so so obviously her house, Martha May Huvier's house looked fantastic. And it was all just exactly how it was supposed to be, and, and it was so easy. It was so easy. It was it's the, one of the most simplest things in the world to do. So that's, that's one way to go about getting all of your Christmas stuff out and getting it positioned around the house. And then, and then there's another way, all right? Uh, the best-looking house in town, Russ. I've always wanted to do this. It's a lot of lights, Dad. Yeah, well... I'm sure it's a lot of work too, but if I'm out in the cold and I'm committed to decorating the house, I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to do it big. You want something you can be proud of, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. Sure you do. I think you might be overdoing it, Dad. Russ, when was the last time I overdid anything? <laughs> Come on, unravel these. You have to check every bulb. Oops, a little knot here. You look at that. I'll get the other box. Martha May Huvier way of doing it, and there's the Clark Griswold way of doing it. Now, here's the thing. I know virtually everybody here this morning, and no matter if somebody's watching this online or listening to it online, everybody sort of has kind of an ideal Christmas in their mind. The way that all the decorations should go out, the way that things should happen over the course of a Christmas season. And we all have this, it, it, 
is there's this perfect, beautiful, uh, absolutely fantastic Christmas season that all of us dream of. But no matter how hard you work, no matter how bad you want it, most of us are going to have a Christmas season that winds up looking a whole lot more like the Griswolds than Martha May Huvier. Can I get an amen? amen? That's the way it's going to go for most of us. And so while we call this, in most, in most people's mind, the most wonderful time of the year, for a lot of people, it ain't so wonderful. It's pretty hard, in fact, for a lot of people. So how in the world do you survive the most wonderful time of the year? All right, let's look in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, from verse 18 through verse 25. Matthew 1, verse 18 through 25, I'm reading from the New King James. And now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word and we begin this journey now over the next several weeks toward Christmas, God, there's the Christmas that we dream of. There's the Christmas that we envision. And yet for most of us, Lord, there's the Christmas that we experience and quite often those things don't look anything like each other. And so God, as, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, I pray that you'll speak through this message today, speak through your word. God, help us to understand what's going on in, in our life, in our world, and Lord, help us to see you in the middle of it all. God, help us to honor you in all things and all ways. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So, without a doubt, Christmas time for probably most people is one of the most stressful times of the year. If you agree with that, raise your hand. It's just, it's crazy. It's nonstop. There's a hundred people you got to buy gifts for. There's 15 different parties or, or gatherings you're supposed to go to. You're trying to make everything right in your home. You got to help here, help there, help the other place. I mean, and it gets, it just gets nuts. And stress levels at Christmas time go through the roof 
for lots and lots of people, even, even within the context of people who go to church. Why? Because we're people. And Christmas has become an insane season. But here's the thing, church. If you think that your Christmas has stress, I can promise you it wasn't more or probably even comparable to the stress that we read about in the very first Christmas. There was a lot of stress in Christmas number one. And just like Joseph and Mary, your perfect Christmas that you would love to have is probably going to experience some unanticipated interruptions that completely want to throw you off the rails. And here's, here's my prayer for you this morning. When those interruptions come, you have one of two choices. You can see those interruptions as a chance to blow up. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's usually how I would prefer to handle it. It just feels good. Ah! All right, you can, you can blow up or you can see it as a chance to grow up. And my prayer for all of us during this Christmas season is when those things happen, that we see them in an entirely different lens. We see them as opportunities to begin to grow up spiritually. So I want to give you a couple of tips for surviving the next few weeks between now and Christmas. So number one, expect your best laid plans to be interrupted. Just expect it. Whatever it is that you're planning, however fine-tuned they may be, no matter how much time and effort you have put into it, just expect that it's going to get interrupted. So look at verse 18 again. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, right? So here's Joseph and Mary, and they're planning a wedding. How cool is that? Nate, where are you? Where are you, Nate? Ah, there you are. They're planning a wedding next Saturday right here. Same bat time, same bat channel, next Saturday right here. So this time next Sunday, they'll be husband and wife. At least we think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Don't read into that. <laughs> Joseph and Mary, they're engaged to be married. So that's, that's where we sort of pick this story up. Now, weddings had really two stages in, in the Bible and, and in the Old Testament and the early New Testament. All right. There was, so there was, there was the engagement or the betrothal as you read it. Now, the engagement is not necessarily like what we experience today. The engagement, technically, they were already married. Legally, the two parties involved in the engagement in the betrothal were already married. Joseph and Mary were technically married, but in the way that they did things during that engagement or betrothal period, they did not live together. Well, now that's a little different from most of our experiences today, uh, but they didn't live together, okay? And they began the planning process, which could take up to 12 months, up to a year from the time of the engagement to the time of the actual wedding itself. Now, obviously, because they're not living together, it's a time to, to kind of see whether or not somebody's going to be, uh, have fidelity to their partner. Uh, there'll be a chance to kind of evaluate the integrity of someone. 
to see are, are they going to be trustworthy? Are they good to their word? But here's the thing. If you got to the point in the engagement period where there was enough of an issue and there were enough problems to say, let's call this off. In a modern day engagement, you say, you know what? It's not you, it's me. Right? It's not you, it's me. Or you could just announce it on Facebook uh, and say, hey, <laughs> status single, available. All right? But you couldn't do that then. There, there was no, let's just see other people. There, you had to actually get divorced. The only way to end an engagement was through divorce, real, honest to goodness divorce. All right? So that could all happen during the process of those 12 months uh, or up to 12 months leading to the ceremony. The ceremony was part two. Okay, that was the culmination of the betrothal or the engagement period. So when you're getting ready for the wedding, you had all of this pre-planning and all of this stuff that would happen beforehand, but ultimately you were pointing toward a ceremony that made the, the marriage official before everybody else, and you would consummate the marriage and make it completely whole. All right? So that's what's going on in the life of Joseph and Mary when we pick up their story here in the Gospel of Matthew. So what does that mean? Let's, let's look at a real-world situation about what they're doing. Okay, so Joseph is getting ready for a wedding. And so Joseph is, you know, he's doing guy stuff. He's drawing up blueprints. You know, hey, I'm going to build this. I'm going to put this over there. I'm going I'm to do that. He's doing his carpentry thing. He's designing cabinet work. And he's getting pretty stoked. Because he's, and, and my guess is, you know, because, you know, guys are guys. Joseph probably wanted to, you know, do the, some really cool stuff and say, hey, Mary, did you see that? Isn't that a cool, did you like the way I put that handle on that cabinet right there? That was pretty sweet. So he was, he had all of these beautiful plans in his mind and they were big plans and he was excited. Mary, on the other hand, she's, she's planning for this wedding and, and she's picking out China patterns. You know, she's getting registered, you know, at Starbucks and, and everywhere else. I mean, all the places that she would want stuff from. <laughs> well, that's what we do. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't, they didn't, they didn't have Dunkin' Donuts back then. Um, and so, so she's registering all these places, deciding what she wants, and she's picking out her china, and, you know, and she's picking out color swatches and color palettes, you know, because, oh, hey, Joseph, I'm going to want this in the house, and, and she's picking out some evening wear, you know, celebrate the marriage, it's going to be good, they're making big plans. Okay, so now imagine, they're getting together, trying to finalize all this stuff. Now, remember, Mary's probably 15, 16 years old, Joseph is a young man, he's probably about 20, 21. And while they're comparing color swatches and, and, and Joseph's bragging about, you know, the plans that he's got, Mary out of the blue says, hey, Joe, honey, uh, we need to talk. Uh, that room that you've got designed back there in the corner, um, I think I want to change that. What? Man, I worked a long time on that, honey. Why in the world do you want me to change it? Because I, I, think, I think we need to make that a nurse because I'm pregnant. To quote a modern philosopher, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> I can, if you could just imagine what that was like for Joseph, it's like you have got to be kidding me. 
I've been making all these plans. I've been putting all this investment into this. And out of nowhere, you tell me you're pregnant. And folks, listen, Joseph knew it ain't mine. I had nothing to do with that. And if it ain't mine, then hmm, hmm, what are we going to do about that? Well, I will tell you that in those days, short of divorce, there was nothing that Joseph could do unless he wanted to divorce her. But the way that things were arranged and written back there, Joseph had every right to throw her under the bus and divorce her. In fact, that was his first response. If you look at verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Hey, divorce. I'm done with this garbage. We had 12 months of getting ready for this, and out of nowhere, you tell me that you're pregnant And I know it ain't mine. Terrible situation for Joseph. I would tell you it was equally bad for Mary. Who wants to go around telling everybody I'm pregnant and I haven't been with anybody? Who's buying that story? Nobody. Here's a young girl, 15, 16 years old. She's got no idea what in the world is going on or why her. But when God talks to her, she says, As you will, Lord, so be it to me. Horrible, horrible situation for the both of them. And church, listen to me. If God was willing to interrupt Joseph and Mary's wedding plans, then you need to know that your Christmas plans are open for interruption too. All right? So that's, that's another part of this to, for you to understand. See, God, God completely threw their season of preparation completely off the rails. Totally off the rails. And if God will do that to them, you need to know you're fair game. I'm fair game. Whatever it is that we think we're planning, whatever it is that we think that we are preparing for, you need to know. And I need to know. They can all change in a snap in an instant because here's the thing we can make plans all day long but if you read the book of james chapter four we find out that we may make our plans but we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow do you know that we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow just read james four it's right there you'll see it i'll give you a great example um when when i got out of the army i decided i would continue to serve in the south carolina national guard and uh i figured man i used to go out in the field and you know we'd be out there for 20, 30 days at a time. Man, I could do a weekend standing on my head. This is no big deal. Um, But one year, uh, I think it was 1996, I believe, um, we were getting ready for our our anniversary, and we were going to go to Myrtle Beach. Man, I I was stoked, man. We're going to go to Myrtle Beach, celebrate the anniversary. I love Myrtle Beach. I love the beach beach and anniversary, man. What a beautiful combo that was. And... uh, well, there might have been some golf involved, but still, there was a beach. There was a beach there. And uh, <laughs> so I was, I was totally stoked. Well, as things happened, there was this disturbance that happened out in the Atlantic Ocean. And it became called Hurricane Fran. And uh, so there was started to be talk 
of uh, the National Guard being called up and deployed to go deal with Hurricane Fran, which was being targeted toward Myrtle Beach. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. No, see, I'm going to Myrtle Beach for my anniversary. So we can't, we can't be having a hurricane here. That's a, no, no, that's right out. So this is on a Tuesday. We're leaving on Friday to go, and I could not wait. All right? So 3 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, the phone rings. Now, this is in the days before caller ID, but how many of you know if the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning, it ain't good? It just ain't good. But I'm in a stupor because I sleep hard. And the phone was right beside, you know, my side of the bed, and the phone's ringing. And, uh, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, hello. And, I mean, I, could, I couldn't even really open my eyes. And I heard two words that just destroyed me. Sergeant Dobler. Oh! Oh! Wrong number. You got the wrong number. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, man, no, you can't be messing with my anniversary plans. I had no choice. So instead of going to Myrtle Beach, hanging out with my lovely wife, I'm sleeping on a cot in this ginormous dormitory with concrete floors and about a thousand guys snoring. It sounded like an attack of killer bees. It was astonishing. I'd never heard anything like it in my life. It, it was crazy. I'm like, God, please get me out of this place. Just like that, our plans completely destroyed and uprooted. I think in one thing, something entirely different happened. The only thing that is guaranteed, unchangeable, and written in concrete is a headstone. Everything else is open for interruption. So whatever you think you got going on this Christmas, just know it can all change in a snap. The second tip is, besides being ready for interruptions, is when they happen, and they're going to happen, try to get God's perspective on the interruption. Try to get his perspective on what in the world is going on. Now listen, Joseph could have blown this really, really bad. His gut reaction was to divorce her. And he could, have, he could have publicly humiliated her. He could have socially destroyed her. He could have done any number of things that ultimately would have taken this in a very bad and unhealthy direction. And for most of us, that's our gut instinct. When something happens that throws our plans off the course that we were planning to go down, our response usually out of the gate, gut instinct is to be really, really ticked. Can I get an amen? We don't like our plans to change. We don't like people messing with our idea and our agenda. But there were some real benefits for Joseph hearing God's agenda. Now, and I love what it says. Um, he says in, um, in verse 20, but while he thought about these things, while he thought about these things, 
So you know, our reaction is often to do something without thinking. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever done something that later you wish, I wish I hadn't reacted like that? Man, it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. You wish you could take that back. You wish you could go back and redo that, but what's done is done. Joseph had every right... And if he was like most of us, would have responded immediately to say, not a way, no way, no chance. There is not any way in the world that I'm going to go through with this. You find yourself another man, I'm divorcing you. But before he did anything, in verse 20, you read that he thought about it. He took some time to begin to consider what am I going to do now? This is getting God's perspective on the interruption. And because Joseph wound up getting God's take, because while Joseph was thinking about it, God showed up, God gave him insight, God gave him direction, and the benefit to Joseph was that he got to marry his sweetheart. And she wasn't soiled She hadn't been unfaithful. She was every bit the wholesome gal that he was excited to marry. Not only was she the wholesome gal that she was excited to marry, she became the mother of the Savior of the world. And Joseph got the double honor of not only naming Jesus. You realize, right, that Joseph is the one who named Jesus? Joseph had the honor of naming Jesus and he had the honor of raising Jesus in his home because he didn't overreact. He didn't get mad and throw things through the wall of his adobe hut. He stopped and he got God's perspective. And church, I'll tell you this morning that just like Joseph, we have got to stop when when something goes wrong between now and Christmas, and I promise you it's going to. When something goes wrong, don't blow up like your gut instinct would tell you to do. Hit the pause button and ask God for his perspective because here's the truth. Sometimes there's lots of benefits in this thing that you can't even see right now, but they're there. As I was, I was kind of praying through and getting ready for this, I, I couldn't help but remember a, a story that I read a long time ago. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you may be hearing this for the first time. But I heard the story of a, of a, of a Chinese man. is probably back in the third century during the Han Dynasty. And uh, I, best I can tell, this is a true story. It's been around for a long time. I can't vouch for it. Obviously, I wasn't around in the third century, but I think it's true. But here's the story. So this this Chinese man who lived near the, the Great Wall of China during the Han Dynasty, he was known for two things. He had a, had a passion for his horse, and he had a passion for his son. And uh, everybody in the town knew that. And uh, one day, uh, he gets up, and his horse is missing. The horse that he absolutely loved was missing. Well, everybody in the, in the village comes, and, and they just, they're lamenting with him. And, and hey, you've got to love neighbors that will lament with you. And they said, oh, this is, this is such bad luck. And his response was, well, maybe this isn't bad luck. And that's all he had to say. So they were all kind of scratching their heads, and they all went home. The village went home. 
Well, a few days later, his horse that he loved actually came back. He'd just gotten out of the stall and came back. But his horse didn't come back alone. It came back with a mare, a beautiful mare. And so everybody in the village is like, wow, this is so cool. So they come back out to, to, to the man's house and they say, you're right. This wasn't bad luck. This is such good luck. And he goes, I don't know. This might not be good luck. It's like, man, we can't win with this guy, right? And so everybody goes back home. Well, a couple days later, his son is out trying to uh, train the mare, who is a wild horse. And the mare bucks, his son falls off and winds up breaking his leg pretty badly. Everybody shows back up. You go, wow, you're right. This really wasn't good luck. This is really bad luck. This is so bad. We're so sorry. And he says, well, I don't, you know, maybe this isn't bad luck. You ever know those people that just kind of drive you crazy? It's like, whatever you say, it's like, no. So, okay, so maybe this isn't bad luck. Well, your son's got a broke leg. How can it not be bad luck? Well, maybe it's not. Within a few months, there was an invasion of China, and, and the ruling clan brought the military through conscripting every available young man who was able-bodied to serve in the military, which was likely going to result in most of them dying because of the way that battles were fought back then. But because his son had broken his leg badly, they couldn't conscript his son. And he saw it, and everybody in the village came back out, and they said, well, I guess you were right. And he said, yep, see, it just all works out. Now, church, things happen to us all the time. And we can, we can label them immediately. This is bad. Maybe it's not bad. Or something can happen, go, well, this is good. Well, maybe it's not good. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All we know is in the moment. And God is always working in the background for his will and his purpose and your good. Amen? And while you may not be able to see it today, we know that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And so we have to stop and get God's perspective. And the challenge for us is that a lot of times we don't want his perspective. You know why? Because we'd rather complain. We'd rather see broken uh, you know, promises and, and uh, broken plans and, wow, this disaster came. This was so bad. Woe is me. I don't know what's happened to us in the world that we live in today, but man, we, we've raised victimhood to like idolatry status. You know, the more victimization that you can claim, the better you are. Let me tell you something. The only person that's ever really been a victim is Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect person that ever lived. He was hung on a cross for doing nothing wrong. And he's the only person who has ever truly, truly, truly been a victim. The rest of us, we are walking through life and God is constantly working. And rather than griping and complaining and trying to find favor from other people, do you see how bad this has been for me? Let's find God's hand in it. Let's find God's purpose in it. Let's let God speak to us about his perspective. And I'll give you three words to find God's perspective. Three ways to do that. First of all is pray. 
Pray, 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 pray. Pray for courage. Pray for courage to deal with whatever it is that has thrown your plans off course. How to deal with it. Pray for wisdom in how to deal with it. Pray for patience in the middle of it. Have you ever found that sometimes that what you thought was going to be an absolute disaster in short order turned out to be no big deal at all? And if you'd have just been a little patient, it would all have been perfectly fine? But you made a mess out of it because you wouldn't simply be patient? So pray, ask God to give you those things, and then ask God to give you some perspective. How bad is it really? How bad is it really? Do you know a lot of times we we spend $100 worth of worry on a $5 problem? We make mountains out of molehills. We turn, you know, small things into enormous events because we won't just step back and say, Lord, give me some perspective. And the last word is providence because God is still sovereign and he's still in control. And I do believe in Romans eight twenty eight that God is working all things together for the good of those who are the called according to his purpose. It's God's world. He's working all things together for good. And that doesn't mean that it'll be good right in the moment, but ultimately, if we will step back and let God do what God needs to do, we'll find a value in it before it's all said and done. So, couple of things just as a reminder you're going to have your plans thrown off course in the next couple of weeks something that you are planning on is going to go wrong something that you're hoping for is not going to work out the way that you wanted it to somebody in your family that you were hoping would respond in one way responds in an entirely different way than you had been hoping for expect it it's going to happen If it happened to Joseph and Mary, we're not off limits either. But understand that when Joseph threw their plans off course, there was something so much better that was coming down the road. But you won't see it if you don't step back and prayerfully ask God, God, what's your perspective on this? Get his take on whatever is going on in your situation. For some of you this morning, I'm going to ask the musicians to come back to the, <coughs> to the platform. For some of you this morning, nothing has gone wrong so far. And I'm not going to ask you to come and, and pray and, and uh, ask God to help you deal with what hasn't happened. But I'm going to encourage you and challenge you this morning you know how the best way to deal with stuff is deal with it before it happens remember there's an old Chinese proverb some of you have heard this before you know when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago you know what the second best time is now yeah maybe you should have dealt with something 20 years ago 
but you didn't. But you can deal with it now. There might be something that's going to happen two weeks down the road from now. And the best time to deal with it is not then. It's right here this morning. Right now. Just commit yourself this morning to saying, God, I'm not going to blow up during the season. I'm not going to add to the stress. I'm not going to stress out my family. I'm not going to make it harder for them. I'm not going to make it harder for me. You know why? Because I want to celebrate the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. That's what I want Christmas to be about. And the rest of it, God, do whatever you need to do. Amen? Some of you here this morning, the stress in your life, it's never going to get fixed until you say yes to Jesus in the first place. Until you invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. That's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. It was Jesus being born so he could live a life and suffer in your place, in my place, for the things that we can't fix. To cover the sin that we can't cover. Life will never make sense to you. Christmas will never make sense to you until and unless you invite Christ into your life. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. For those of you who have never invited Christ in your life, I'm going to lead, lead you in a, in a prayer to invite Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And then we're done with that prayer. I'm going to invite you to come and, and pray here, meet with me. And then I'm going to invite everybody else to come and just prepare your heart, church, for Christmas. Let's not just go through another Christmas season where we're running around like mad. Let's prepare our hearts for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, as we look at uh, the experience of Joseph and Mary in the scripture, we see that Things went entirely differently than they expected, but God, it was for their good and for ours. Lord, ultimately it was about Jesus being born into this world. And Lord, there might be someone this morning that Jesus needs to be born into their life today. If you're here this morning and you're tired of searching for answers and not knowing how to fix it, if you're not sure that you belong to Jesus, then I'm going to invite you to pray this very simple prayer to invite Christ into your life. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that you came to this earth. I know that you lived a perfect life. I know that you died for me. God, would you forgive me today? Would you cleanse me from the inside out? Would you fill this hole in my heart that I haven't been able to fill any other way? And Lord, would you welcome me into your family today? Well, I don't know what all this looks like, but Lord, I know it's what I want. So today, as best I know how, I give you my life. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name.